All right, everybody, this is another episode of Pill Talk Podcast with your host, Dr. Bar 2. I have a special guest on today. We're coming to give you a daily dose of medicine to give you to get you inspired, motivated, and live at your full potential. I have a guest. Her name is Dr. Talisha Ratliff. How are you doing today? Hello, doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for taking time out your busy schedule to come on Pill Talk Podcast and enlighten our audience about what you do and how you're impacting lives today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So just a quick little rundown. All right. You was an opioid treatment pharmacist, and now you are a experiential educational um, assistant dean at Presbyterian School of Pharmacy, right? Yes. So I was at an OPT, so opioid treatment program. Um, I was there. Um, excuse me, I said OPT, OTP, um, opioid treatment program. I was there for about six and a half years. Um, whenever I first graduated from pharmacy school, I worked as a CVS pharmacist. And then my dream job became available at an OTP. Um, so I was the pharmacist in charge for, um, for that period of time. And it was amazing. Like I loved it. Um, I wouldn't trade my patients for anything. It was so just beneficial to like see someone who has hit rock bottom and be able to like lend a helping hand to them and help pull them out of um, what they're going through and help support them and encourage them along the way. Nice. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, start from the beginning. Let's talk about what gave you a spark to get into pharmacy um, and what made you want to follow this career path? So, of course, I always tell people to be mindful of who you are and where you are. Um, before um, my ninth grade year, I always wanted to be a pediatrician. And I had a career day with a pediatrician. And I was so excited. I couldn't believe I'm going to meet a pediatrician. I'm going to be able to pick their brain. And it's going to be phenomenal. Well, I don't know where they found this pediatrician. But he should have stayed wherever they found him. Because he was miserable. Like all he talked about was the high malpractice fees, just the discord that occurs in the medical world and how pediatricians are at the bottom of the totem pole. And it was too much. At that moment, I knew I don't want to be a pediatrician anymore. So I knew that I wanted to stay in the healthcare um, profession. So I had a mentor who was a pharmacist um, at the VA and she allowed me to like shadow her, shadow some other physicians and things like that. And Ultimately, I was like, you know, I want to be a pharmacist um, because I could see like how she was really changing lives. Um, she was managing um, patients on warfarin and helping patients with diabetes management, and they loved her. Um, and I loved the interaction that she had with them. And so that's what totally changed my trajectory. And so from ninth grade, spring of ninth grade year to um, going into college, I knew I wanted to be a pharmacist. Nice, nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty of conversations on the podcast where a simple conversation can change the trajectory of someone's life. And that pediatrician had that conversation with you to change you from following that career path to the career path you're on now. Um, I hope that person finds peace within their field 
and able to move forward in a, in a happier place. But yes. thank you to whoever the VA pharmacist was who um, was able to guide you and, and show you that healthcare providers, definitely pharmacists, we do such a, an, an impactful role for the people that it's something that you want to jump into. Absolutely. And just to elaborate, so her name was Dr. Wendy Dean, and she was the first pharmacist that I knew that looked like me. So she was a black pharmacist, and that was even more impactful um, because I was like, man, like, you know, I've, I've loved you this whole time, but now I love you even more. Like, now I kind of want to be you. So we just would have all these, like, uh, conversations just around pharmacy. And and so, yeah, like you said, I, I hope that the other um healthcare professional found peace in his field. Um, but I'm grateful um, for the many conversations that I had that were great and impactful and empowering uh, with Dr. Wendy Dean. Yeah, shout out to Dr. Wendy Dean. Hope she listens and sees that yes. she's touching lives and, and, and molding the help, focusing people in on a career path that they're going down. Um, so ninth grade, you realize, all right, ready to be a pharmacist. Right. Mm -hmm. So did you do the two, four program, four, four program where you went to undergrad four years and then pharmacy school, four years or two years undergrad and four years pharmacy school? So I did the four and I don't know program because I, I, I really like I knew I wanted to be in pharmacy school and I was back in my day. Let me feel like an old head back in my day. It was the PCAT. The PCAT was everything. And if you couldn't score well on the PCAT, you're not going to pharmacy school. So I did my two years of prerequisites at the University of South Carolina, um, go Gamecocks. Uh, so I didn't get in after the first two years and I was devastated because up until that point, like I had always gotten what I wanted. Um, like if, I, if I'm gonna set my mind to something, I can, I can do it, I can achieve it, I can get it. And that wasn't the case with pharmacy. I had great grades, my GPA was wonderful, my extracurriculars were great but my PCAT was not. And so it was very difficult to get into pharmacy school at USC. Um, so after the two years, um, of, and then I didn't get in, I had to change my major. So I changed to biology and um, I decided that I'm not gonna go to school for three years and not have a degree. So I didn't apply to any pharmacy schools during my junior year. Um, my senior year, I was determined to get into pharmacy school again. Um, and so I applied to multiple schools instead of just applying to one school. So you live and you learn. And I got multiple offers and I was really excited about that. Um, and I, I thought that I was old. Again, I, I thought I was super old. I wasn't. But I thought that I was. So I went to South University um, for pharmacy school in the Columbia campus because it was a three-year program and I needed to gain a year back of my life. Um, so that's kind of what pushed me to that school over the others. Um, but yeah, I, I totally thought I was going to do the two years and then four years of pharmacy school and then be out, but it was more like four years than three years. And then I'm out. You got through it. You got through it. I got a similar story just like that, but happy you made it through, um, and all that good stuff because it took me three times applying to get into pharmacy school. And I was, I was super determined, like, listen, I'm not going to let nothing hold me back from the goal. I already knew what I wanted to do at a young age. And um, I saw Presbyterian came through, 
to my undergrad when it was starting to open up. It was like, hey, you were trying to look about first class. And then finally, on my third time applying, I was like, yeah, what was that school name that I that came to my uh, undergrad? <laughs> like, Let me check them out. You know what I mean? They starting off, they're looking for someone. I'm looking for someplace. I think it's a match. <laughs> oh, I love it. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And right. you know now the PCAT means nothing. You do know that now, right? I did not know that. There's only about a handful of schools that even require the PCAT. Most schools do not require the PCAT at all. If you take it, cool. If you don't, who cares? Wow. Hey, yeah. That's nice. We're going to definitely dive mm-hmm. a little deeper into that once we get start talking about the pharmacy school, because I got a couple of questions on that. But let's follow your career path until we get to that point. So you jumped out of pharmacy school ready to go and you jumped into retail first or you wanted to opioid treatment program first? Yes, I wanted to retail first. So I was an intern for CVS during my time um, throughout pharmacy school. And I thought that I would grow old with the company. Um, and that was just not really the case. It was a very different story. Um, whenever I went from pharmacy intern to pharmacist. So I did not stay a pharmacist with them for very long. Um, so a great company. It just didn't work for um, what I had in mind for work-life balance. So I stayed as a pharmacist for about six months. And then um, a new clinic was being built um, for the opioid treatment program. And I did a rotation there, um, at the sister clinic. And so they asked me to be their PIC. Nice, nice, nice. Um, if you're able to, can you break down opioid treatment program and what you do there as a pharmacist for a moment? Yeah. So in South Carolina, you have to have a pharmacist in charge at an OTP. Um, many other states don't require pharmacists. They might have a consultant pharmacist or they might have um, dosing nurses, um, but most states don't require a full-time pharmacist on board. Um, but South Carolina is still one of those states that does. Um, so the pharmacist is responsible for, of course, making sure that the inventory is up to date and current, um, making sure that patients are eligible to dose. So if we have a patient that's impaired, um, just making sure that we do an impairment evaluation and get them some alternate help rather than adding more medication on for them. Um, so with opioids, you know, you have to be really careful because we don't want to have anyone going to respiratory depression. Um, and a lot of times that happens whenever patients have other medications on board. So as pharmacists, um, you know, I, I'd laugh and joke and say like, we're observant, which is a nice word for we're nosy, right? So I just did a, um, spoke at a conference a week ago and we were saying, you know, if you change your hair, we know it. If you get your eyebrows waxed, yep, we know that too. So if you come in and your speech is slurred and your gait is unsteady, we pick up on that pretty quickly. So whenever um, you have the pharmacist, you know, like I said, it's just an extra set of eyes that are disciplined um, since the physicians are not typically there during the day. Um, and so the pharmacist can make the best um, medical judgments for the patient to make sure that we're um, always utilizing harm reduction. Nice, nice, nice. So 
how often do you how often are you able to see the patients um, in this program? Like, do they come weekly, monthly? Yeah, so the patients come to the clinic every day um, until they gain take-home medication. So basically, um, after being in the program and going to group sessions, going to their own individual counseling sessions, and um, showing themselves responsible, having urine drug screens that are illicit-free, um, patients can earn take-home doses. So then they don't have to come to the clinic every single day. And after two years, um, patients can earn up to um, 27 takeouts where they come into the clinic one time per month. Um, but that's like a, a long-term goal. The shorter term is like after 30 days, if you've had everything illicit-free, um, then you can earn like a Saturday take-home. So now you don't have to come in the clinic on Saturday and we were closed on Sundays. Um, so that was just, you know, good for them. And I laugh because I'm like, you know, now you get to sleep in on Saturday unless you're a mom like me. Then your kids are going to wake you up anyways. But you don't have to come to the clinic. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. All right. Do you have a story or a moment where you was able to help someone or impact someone's life at the clinic that you were able to share with us? Sure. Um, let's see. I would say one of the stories that kind of stick out the most for me is one of our patients um, was in the military and she had a little girl that was four years old. Um, her little girl had cancer and um, she was struggling really badly. And so she turned to opioids to try to get away from her reality. And um, that's how she became um, addicted to opioids. And so whenever she found the treatment center, um, she was, you know, in a really low spot. And so each day she would come in and, you know, she was nervous about what people would be saying about her. Um, are they judging her? Things like that, because, you know, she's a mom. And so, you know, I encouraged her that she could, you know, you're a mom, you can do anything. And so she would bring her daughter in and, um, you know, we would get close to her daughter and we'd uh, give her like suckers and things like that, comment on her outfits and, you know, just different things like that. And, and it really helped her. Like she got with the program immediately and the road to recovery is different for everyone. Not everybody gets it at the very beginning, but she was one of the ones who got it at the very beginning. And because of our encouraging um, helping hand, like she was able to really like change and do really good things for her daughter. Um, and so the last I heard, you know, she was still doing really well and the little girl was doing well. Um, so hopefully that is, you know, still what's happening. I, I'm about a year and a half removed from the situation now, but yeah, very rewarding. Yeah. That's a nice story. How she got into it because she's trying to get away from her reality, but then her reality actually brought her back, you know, and trying to sober her up, seeing how y'all impacted yeah. or influenced her daughter and all this other good stuff and seeing that what she could do moving forward. So that's dope that you guys was able to like bring that insight back to her to get her back on track, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you are, you are. So that was one career or that's the second. And then now you're starting another one with Presbyterian College School of Pharmacy. Are you able to talk about that right now? Yeah. So whenever I was at the OTP, um, I took pharmacy students on rotation. So for their advanced um, pharmacy practice experiences, I took a student every single month. Sometimes I would take two students each month. 
Um, and I waited for, you know, to be in the clinic for about a year, just because we were a brand new clinic and we started out with zero patients. I wanted to be able to build the clinic up a little bit more before um, introducing a student into the learning environment. Um, but after that, like I said, we, I mean, we had students all the time. The patients would look forward to students coming in. We would look forward to the students coming in. Um, and it just added an extra layer of, um, of happiness to our clinic life. And so the patients enjoyed getting to know the students and hearing their story. And a lot of times students would come into um, the clinic because they were either really curious about um, what happened at an OTP or they might've had like a family member or a friend who struggled with opioid addiction. Um, and so it was always just really, really good to help show them. And the reason why I took so many students is because I wanted them to see that addiction has no face. And so no matter what you have in your head, as far as stereotypes go, like it's probably totally wrong. And, you know, we have to, as medical professionals, we have to be the ones to not judge the patient and to treat the patient as a person. Yeah. So again, loved having students. And so um, I was pregnant with my second child and a new bill was coming out. I was on maternity, I was about to go on maternity leave and a new bill was coming out. It was H.3365. And basically it said um, pharmacists are no longer needed in an OTP in South Carolina. Oh, wow. And about, yeah, oh yeah, it was heavy. So about two months prior to that, I, we had some change in our management. Um, one of our owners had passed away and I felt like the mission and the vision had kind of changed a little bit for the clinic that I was at. And so I was praying because I felt like being at the clinic was part of my ministry. And like that's, that is how I am able to give back to the community and just really help those people. And so whenever I was praying, I say, you know, like, Lord, if this is not my ministry anymore, like, I need you to show me. I need you to shake it up. I need you to let me know without a shadow of a doubt that it is time to do something else. And then, like I said, two months come along and then here's the bill. And so I'm over here kind of looking like, okay, God, I hear you. <laughs> this is big. Like, this is like unmistakable. Like, I feel like this is you. <laughs> and so, but I'm huge. I'm very, very, very pregnant. And so I'm like, but who's going to hire me now? So I went on maternity leave and I just like, you know, I'm going to put it in God's hands. And while I was on maternity leave, um, maybe about a week into my leave, Presbyterian College put in. Uh, like an announcement out that um that my predecessor was um going back into practice and so you know we're going to take you back two years prior to that now hey, and know. i yeah yeah and so but two years earlier like there was a position the same position was available in charleston um and i really wanted it but i was like ah, I'm, I'm a greenville girl i'm an upstate chick i can't go to charleston it's too far <laughs> just can't do it and so I started praying then like you know like Lord like I, I this I know that the OTP this is like my dream job but this experiential education is really my dream job and so I say you know like Lord if, it, if it's for me then you know you'll you'll make it available and I said you'll make it available in a place where I can drive to um and then I changed my prayer and I was like you'll make it available at Presbyterian College because I know that I can easily get there and, you know, that was two years before the bill came out, all that stuff, yada, yada. So after the bill comes out, I go on maternity leave, 
this announcement comes out and I'm still over here like, thank you, Jesus. Like, this is clear. I, I have no confusion about this. This is my job. This job is for me. And I know that you're going to allow me to have it. And so I um, applied for it. And, you know, in academia, things go a little bit slower. Um, so it took until, so this was back in October, and it took until like March for me to um, get an interview. Um, and so I interviewed for it. And um, in the in the credentialing, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get to this later or not, but in the ad, it asked, you know, for a residency, which I didn't have. And so, but I wasn't bothered because I already know this is for me. And, um, and so I interviewed for it and then it took a little while, academia. So about a month or so later, um, I was um, given the job. I was able to accept it and I started in July of 2020. Man, that's a remarkable story right there. They say that you saw it, saw it <clears throat> from another school and then prayed about it. And was like, you know what, if it's for me, not if it's for me, you ask God, listen, I wanted at this particular location doing this job and you just had to wait it out until it actually came up. And having the the faith that when you saw it, you was like, this is my job now. Like it wasn't even a second thought. It seemed like you were just like, this one is for me. I don't know what else, I don't know who else applying, but I thank y'all right. for submitting your application, but <laughs> this one is for me. Yes. <laughs> Um, so what make this job stand out? Because you did that with the um, opiate treatment program and uh, being with the kids, uh, being with the students and teaching them. Is that what made you want to become <clears throat> an experiential um, assistant dean for experiential? Yeah, so that, that is, that's exactly what made it stand out. So whenever I was a pharmacy student, um, you know, I... I picked up very quickly because my very first rotation was awful and I was so scared because I said oh my gosh I have so many more of these to do how am I going to make it and so you know you, you learn from people and so I always say you, as a preceptor like students take little bits and pieces of all the preceptors that they have and that's who they become as a pharmacist and so I knew from the very first rotation that was not stellar that this is like I gave myself pep talks every day like this is not who you are you are not this pharmacist. You will not be this preceptor. Just keep going, Talisha, like you can make it. And we had five week long rotations. And I had to say that every single day. Um, and then after that, like I had great preceptors. And so, you know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna take this piece from them. And so as a preceptor for myself, like I would tell my students, like take my good and leave my bad. I am not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect pharmacist, um, but take my good and leave my bad. And I, like I had so many relationships with all the students that, I um, precepted and, you know, I still stay in, stay in contact with a lot of them to this day. Um, some of them became PRN pharmacists for me. Um, and some, you know, some of them were just still really, really good friends. And so through precepting, like I won several preceptor of the year awards. And I was like, you know, I really want to be able to share like some of my passion for precepting with other people. And so through this role, I get to see it from the student side and the preceptor side. So I get to empower other preceptors when they might feel low or feel burnt out, um, you know, help them come up with fresh ideas for their rotation. Um, from the student side, I get to hear about ideas that aren't so fresh and are being used. And so they can tell me like, you know, this rotation was not what I was expecting. And I was okay, well, well what would have made it better? 
So just empowering them and letting them know, you know, like what you say and your experience can change someone else's experience for the future. Nice. Definitely if they come to you and tell you that, hey, I'm praying every day about this rotation, you can be the person that makes the call and be like, hey, preceptor, uh, <laughs> we, we need you to do a little more of this and a lot of less of this. Like, yo, let's tighten up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let's actually get into like, the roles and responsibilities of being an assistant dean of experiential education. Like, what do you actually do um, in this role and how do you find preceptors and things like that? Okay, so I recently had a title change. So about two weeks ago, um, it used to be the executive, um, the executive director for experiential education. And so now it's the assistant dean for experiential education. And that's to, you know, get it mainly more um, in alignment with the other schools, other pharmacy schools. Um, the person that's in this position usually has that title. So um, we, so for me, I oversee our experimental department. It's a department of four people. Um, so Dr. Mary Douglas Smith, she is the director of experimental education and she does IPPEs. Miss um, Susie Carboneau, she's the assistant um, director for experimental education and she does all of our like learning systems <clears throat> like e-value and core um, and then Miss Lynn Thompson she does all of our onboarding requirements and so I oversee our department and um, and Miss Lynn Thompson is our coordinator of experimental education and I also um, oversee APPE rotations so the students who are in their fourth year going out on their um, on their advanced learning opportunities. I was about to ask you before we go any further, you mentioned IPPs and then you mentioned APPs. Can you actually tell them what that actually is just in case someone doesn't know or who haven't been into pharmacy school? Yes, so APPE is Advanced Pharmacy Practice Experience and then IPPE is Introductory Pharmacy Practice Experience. So IPPEs happen P1 year through P3 year and um, APPEs happen P4 year. So you oversee the department and um, you go out and you find preceptors. Do you vet the preceptors to make sure that they're good? How do you guys uh, find these rotations is the question. Yeah, so sometimes the rotations find us. Um, you know, they might've had a student there that was an intern. Um, or a family friend or things like that. And so they might say, oh, you should precept for our school. Um, so then the preceptor would contact us. Um, sometimes we find them, like we, we just meet cool people all the time. So we say, you know, you would have a great site for a rotation. Um, and so we would contact that person and ask them if they would like to be a preceptor. And then once they say, you know, yes, that I'd like to be a preceptor, then we send them to um, do a preceptor application and they do a new preceptor um, little workshop to kind of get them a little bit more acclimated. We have um, syllabi templates that we can share with them. Um, I would reach out and, you know, if it's a community rotation, then um, typically if it's like a, a community that's a retail um, chain, then I don't usually have to reach out individually because the skeleton um, syllabus is the same. But if it's more of a like a independent one, then I would usually um, reach out and kind of see what's a little bit different about this rotation experience versus some others um, and same for some of the more specialty um, rotations. And, you know, I get to have, you know, great conversations with great people 
all the time and it's it's amazing yeah no so if someone's listening like our class had about we started with 80 got down to about 70 something and you know 70 different minds we all want to try something new something different right inside the pharmacy field and a lot of people just think pharmacy is just retail a hospital but it's a whole lot of variety out there can you give us a list of of uh rotation so that we can kind of understand the variety that people have when they're in pharmacy school that they can kind of touch on in the different fields yeah sure so we have ambulatory care rotations which um are occurring in an outpatient setting so whenever i was at the clinic that was an ambulatory care rotation um and some ambulatory care or some of all of them are either elective or required so if it's an elective that just means that maybe that patient population is too specified um, to be like generalized. So mine um, at the clinic was an ambulatory care elective, whereas some at the VA would be an ambulatory care required just because they see a really broad um, patient population. And so it's, it's outpatient. Usually that's whenever you see like your warfarin management, diabetes management. Um, you see the pharmacists just really being able to interact with their patient um, on, a, on a level that is not the same as um, community because in community, a lot of times you're a little bit too busy to be able to access the patient and have these deeper conversations. Um, and then a different from the hospital because a lot of times there's a lot of um, looking at charts and you know talking with the group and rounding. So then you can do some institutional rotations um, and you can special, have specialties. So it can be like general medicine, internal medicine, um, or just kind of like an introduction, have your great foundation. And then you can expand out to like cardiology, um, psychology. Um, you can do renal, um, just all sorts. Um, and these all occur in the hospital setting. Um, and then... So for pharmacy school in their P4 year, students have a requirement from ACPE to do a certain amount of rotations at different types. So you have to do one community rotation, one ambulatory care rotation, one acute care. At PC, if you go to PC, we always have you do two acute care rotations, and that's just because we want you to have that foundational one of internal medicine or general medicine plus a specialty one. And then um, one hospital health system rotation and hospital health system rotations are basically um, kind of what you think about whenever you think about a pharmacist um, in that institutional setting. Um, like you might have to go to the basement for it and you're gonna see tons of machines and a lot of cart fills and things like that. Um, so that's our HHS. And then you get to have four um, electives. So that's where you could do an OTP rotation. That's where you could do a telehealth rotation, um, nuclear pharmacy. Um, so many. I, <laughs> I feel like the Forrest Gump of um, rotations, the the Bubba Gump, excuse me, <laughs> of rotations. <laughs> Listen, I think no, I think I remember my fourth year, uh, my appies. After like the four, I think it was a, you said four, four or five of them that were like we had to do, like that was the core. All my uh, other one was management. Like, I just knew I was going into management. I was like, yo, I want to be moving up the ladder as fast as possible, as soon as possible. So I need to learn from the guys who's making the decisions, who's leading the team to become a great leader so that I could 
keep elevating up. I would say it did. Pay Absolutely. Off. Yeah, it did. Pay off. Good. So, all right, we got into it about your roles, responsibilities. Um, got one good question. Um, what do you think you guys do that are different from the other pharmacy schools that gives uh, Presbyterian College students an advantage with the uh, rotations? So, with the rotation, okay. So, for me, like what drew me to Presbyterian College um, School of Pharmacy is the small family aspect. I think that some of the other schools are really large and you don't really have the opportunity to get to know your professors or your classmates as well. Um, here at PC, like we like we know everybody. Um, we know what's going on with people. We know whenever they're, again, not like themselves so that we can kind of help out and help them, you know, figure out what is happening and how to digest it and how to keep moving forward. Um, so for rotations, like I always tell the students, like I'm more than happy for you to come talk to me. Um, we get a two week break at Christmas time. That has ha not happened in any of my other jobs, but I get a two week break at Christmas. And so that is amazing. Um, I've only experienced it one time, uh, but it was very memorable. Um, so during my Christmas break, I look at the schedules that the P3 students put in. Um, so they do what's called a spin, and that's where they get all their rotations. Um, they get to put their preferences in and things like that. And so once the spin comes back with all the results, then during Christmas break, I take all the schedules and I look at each one individually. And I look and I say, oh, you live in Greenville. This rotation is in Aiken. Probably not going to be a good fit. So I put a little question mark and say, do you have family in Aiken? What's going on in Aiken? Um, did you preference this or was it just random? Or if I see that a student has a cardiology rotation as the first rotation, I can intervene and say, no, we're not going to do cardio first. That's a little heavy. Let's, <laughs> let's do general medicine or internal medicine first. Um, and so just kind of looking at it and then seeing like, you know, they might have like, for instance, if I was looking at a schedule that you were trying to create, Bartu, um, you said you wanted to go into management. So we always ask them, like, what's your postgrad plan? What, um, what, where do you work? Where have you worked previously? Um, things like that. And so we can, you know, see what would be the best opportunity for you. So if I had like a new management rotation, because like I said, I get to talk to people and we get new rotations all the time. So if I had a new management one, then, you know, I would pencil it down on your schedule. Like, hey, ask him about this. He didn't preference it, but he didn't know about it. So ask him about this. Or even trying to like show something where, you know, you might on the surface think that it's one thing, but then once you actually look at it um, a little bit more in detail or have someone who has a little bit more insight, then you can see, oh, that could be really beneficial to me in this way. So um, when I was in pharmacy school, we did the spin and we got the spin and they gave us our printed out results. And it was like, have a good day. And that was that, like you didn't get to make changes. So <laughs> I think that what we do is very different from a lot of schools, because like I said, I do go through and I look through the whole schedule. And then when students come back in January, we um, have an individual meeting with every single student and each student gets to tell us, what do you like about your schedule? What do you not like about it? What do you wish you had? 
um, if it were to become available, and then we pencil those things down. And by the time they leave that meeting, like they're 99% happy with their schedule and what they have to look forward to for their P4 year. You know, being a PCSP alumni, I thought that was normal because until you just said it just now, like you would do it for another school or when you went to pharmacy school, they just printed it out and gave it to you. But yeah, they did take the time to like, everyone had a chance to go look down uh, the appies and be like, all right, can I move this one here? Can I slide this one here? I would like to have these two months off back to back. Like you kind of thought that was normal, but it was that home welcoming small family feel that Presbyterian gave that we kind of could do that compared to like, we would have went to a big school when there's hundreds of people in pharmacy school, they probably would just give you the printout and be like, hey, figure it out on your own. Like how you said, if you saw someone living in Greenville, I have to go to Aiken, which is probably like three hours away. Like, do you, are you sure you want to do this rotation? Because you have to have, you have to find housing, gas, food, all this other stuff. Or would you like to be closer where we can find something that could be more tailored to you or give you that same experience uh, in, in your proximity? Exactly, exactly. I congratulate you on that because I know that's a lot of work because I know we probably <laughs> irritated the uh, <laughs> the person that was in your role when I was there because we probably was up there every day like, yo, not this one, not this rotation. We got to switch this. <laughs> I need I need this month off. December, I'm not doing anything. It was like, ah, right, we got to fix it, figure it out. Yep. So that's it's great. It's kind of like putting together puzzles. So mm -hmm. It works out. So back to you um i got a couple more questions before we get out of here um one the first one is uh the work-life balance um it seems like you enjoying this uh, a lot because you like you said you got two weeks off during the christmas time and etc cetera, etc cetera. so how is the work-life balance with being a um, assistant dean of experimental experiential education <laughs> Um, so you have to, you know, have your own boundaries, no matter what role you're in. I remember when I was a CVS pharmacist, like sometimes people would call me on my day off and be like, Hey, our queue's all backed up. Um, everything's red. Can you come in and help? And it's like, you know, then as a new grad, of course, yes, I'll do anything. But then, you know, you live and you learn and you're like, no, I won't do that. Um, I'm off and I'm enjoying time with my family. Um, and so same same goes for, like I said, literally every single job. So emails come through all the time, any time of the day. Um, and so you just have to, for me, I make it a rule. Like, you know, I might look at it. I might glance at it to see like, okay, what, what is it about? Is it something that's urgent? Is it something that I really need to respond to right now? Or is it something that can wait until I'm in the office tomorrow? And if it is, then I let it wait until I'm in the office the next day. And um, I think that in the beginning, it was really overwhelming because in my previous job, I didn't have a ton of email management um, types of things to do. Like everything just happened live and it was just, you know, I made the decision. Um, but now in this role, there are a lot of other people that are affected by decisions that I make or, um, or don't make. And so just making sure that everyone stays in the loop. But again, being respectful of my time and making sure that I'm not doing things outside of work that I don't have to do. Like, of course, like, so I teach as well. 
So making lectures and things like that on, you know, at home, I don't have any problems with that. But the email thing, that's kind of a, a big one for me is just making sure that I, I don't extend myself too much on things that can wait. If it's urgent, then yes, I'm obviously going to respond back. Um, and then also just making sure that that I don't, because it's easy to, to stay late, come early, stay late. Um, and the commute's not too bad. I live about 40 minutes from here. So um, just getting out of here, like being like, okay, can that wait until tomorrow? Yes, it can. Go home, like now. And sometimes I even have to put on my calendar, leave at this time so that I'll get an alarm to leave. <laughs> and it's like, no, for real, like stop. Stop what you're doing and leave. Um, so I think it just, it, it takes time. It takes time and it takes practice because when you're fresh out, like you, you don't know. And then you feel sad or mad because you're missing out on things. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to miss out on those things. And even the same thing when you're in pharmacy school, like, yeah, you might have a test coming up a week from now, but your friend's birthday is today. Go to dinner with your friend and study when you get back or study tomorrow. So it takes practice. Yes, definitely. All right, and I think my last question for you, um, what are your career goals or dreams going for like five years from now? What do you see yourself going at? Yeah, that's going, okay. So five years from now, um, I still see myself at Presbyterian College School of Pharmacy. Um, I see myself helping with um, some of the admission initiatives. Um, like I said, Dr. Wendy Dean, she was the first pharmacist that I met that looked like me. And I think that that's really important for, um, for people to see people that look like them because representation matters. And if you don't, it's hard to be what you can't see. So like I have in the past done some career days um, with some elementary schools. So I would like to do that um, with PC. Um, I'd like to do them with elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, and just be able to get, um, get the word out there that we exist because Clinton, South Carolina is small and Presbyterian College is very small. <laughs> so getting the word out there that we are available and who knows, we might have someone out there like you, Bartu, who, who was like, you know, like, I am a great candidate, but I need to find the right school to match with, right? Yep. So just being able to continue to be that encouraging uh, faith. And whenever I was in pharmacy school, I had a professor, um, Dr. Ronald Stroman, and he was amazing. And he, um, he was an African-American pharmacist. He used to, we used to have all these heart-to-hearts and he'd call me pain get together pain nope can't do that and so my goal in five years is to be the female Dr. Stroman and to be able to keep encouraging the students that we have at PCSP and to continue to um, gain the trust um, for the um, opportunity to serve future students nice 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 I believe that you will be able to to keep going down this road and motivate and encourage people um as you've been motivated and encouraged throughout your career and making things go. So if someone wants to get in contact with you to get some of this motivation and encouragement, or just want to learn more about pharmacy school, how can they reach out to you? So um, again, my name is Dr. Talisha Payne Ratliff, and I'm at Presbyterian College School of Pharmacy. 
My work phone is 864-938-3857. Um, my email address is tpratliff, and Ratliff is R-A-T-L-I-F-F, -F, as in Frank, at presby.edu. Um, I don't get on Instagram as often as I should, but my Instagram handle is at the farm D mommy. Hey, nice, nice, nice. So this was another episode of Pill Talk Podcast with Dr. Talisha Ratliff coming to you, letting you know a little bit about opiate treatment program and Presbyterian College experiential education as the assistant dean and how she's impacting preceptors and students' lives and helping them find and guide them to the right career field that they want in pharmacy. So thank you, Dr. Ratliff, for coming on and sharing your experience and knowledge with us today on Pill Talk Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Wilson. I appreciate the honor. All right, thank you. So this was another episode. Until next time.